Welcome back to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. Uh, Byron, uh, let our listeners know, especially the first-time listeners, what we're all about and get anything off your chest you need to. We here on Politically Entertaining, we uh, break down news and politics. Uh, we try to tell you what's important and what doesn't get covered as much as it should have and just bring it to you on a weekly basis. Uh, so thank you again for tuning in. Hey, Frank, we both we both grew up in the South. We were born in Mobile, Alabama. And a lot of times in the summertime, you know, we have front porches down there. We like to sit outside, drink our favorite beverage. What was your favorite beverage, summertime beverage growing up? It was definitely lemonade. I know it sounds kind of corny, but I used to love uh, my, my mom used to make lemonade, and my dad made it too. And basically you get a bunch of lemons and the seeds be in there and you get sugar and if you put too much sugar in there, I put more sugar in there. And it was just really, really good. And, you know, to me that's something that I used to drink uh, growing up when it was hot outside. You know, you don't want water for whatever reason when you're a kid. You don't want just water. You want something uh, sweet. So for me it was uh, just homemade lemonade uh, that, that we used to make. And, and it was just another a bonus tidbit. I used to go to, my dad used to go to restaurants and this is, I learned from him. He used to say, Can I get a bowl of lemons? And the waiter would give him this strangest look, like, All right. Comes back, gets a bowl of lemons, and he puts them all in his water and he gets packs of sugar, uh, three white, one blue, and makes lemonade in his glass at the restaurant. So Yes, it was it was like that. So that that was uh, just just wanted to share that with everybody. That, that was up. Uh, I would I would have to say mine was uh, sweet tea, but apparently uh, Beyonce, who is also from the South, born in Houston, Texas, apparently her favorite beverage was lemonade as well. Uh, last week on HBO, she dropped a, I guess you call it a, a video album, lemonade. Uh, we just knew that a Beyonce special was coming, had no idea what was going on. And then when it aired, you know, the first few minutes I was like, this is kind of weird. And then you realize the story that's being told, and it pretty much alludes to many are saying that Jay-Z cheated on her, and she had she went through all her anger and wound up forgiving him. It was well done. I'm not the biggest Beyonce fan. I'm probably not even a fan, period. I do like some of her songs. But uh, I thought it was great work by her. I'm not sure if you had a chance to check it out. If you did, you know, just give us your thoughts. And if not, I recommend you check it out. It was it was some pretty good work by her. So here's the funny thing. So I did check it out. So that night I um, we had we had recorded on DVR, so we were kind of watching it back. And we only got halfway through. And when we went to bed the first night, we were like, um, she might be leaving Jay-Z. And obviously, if you get through all the way through, you'll see that, you know, he's in the video. He's part of it. And, and at the end, it seems to be a reconciliation. The only thing I'll say is, well, I'll say two things. One, Beyonce is a genius marketer. Uh, whether, yes. or not, whether or not the situations in there are true, uh, you know, that was obviously flashed about Rachel Roy, not Rachel Ray. For some people, that was actually going after Rachel Ray, but Rachel Roy um, and, and um, uh, Rita Orr and maybe some other people basically, you know, were catching some flack here and there for being the Becky with the good hair, air quotes there. And, you know, I just think that she's able to create uh, a situation and a narrative that was portrayed as negative. She's owned it, and now – she basically has told the story, and whether or not it's true, whether or not it happened like that, she owns it. And so you have to respect her for being able to do that. And then secondly, what imagery was just impressive? I mean, I'm sorry, like, people just weren't ready for Serena Williams to be twerking. I mean, I was like, what is going, I mean, what is going on here? Um, and, and so it's just, like I said, just a lot of, you know, some of the things she said about, you know, moving on to the next man in a graphic fashion, I don't think we were, I was ready to hear some of those things. You know, I was like, wow, you know, I'm a father. Now I can't be living all this. But, uh, you know, it was one of those kind of things where, you know, her presentation was, was very raw. Uh, right now she is the, you know, as as, as obviously, and, and people are going to take this the wrong way, I don't think she's anywhere near a level of archery of a prince, but she's owning her music and her, um, her, her, 
image in a prince-like fashion. She's dropping her out the way she wants to drop them. Um, the way her image is per- completely hers. Her narrative is completely hers. You know, she's not a survivor or no, 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 no. She's yeah, yeah, yeah. This is I'm I'm Beyonce. I'm doing it my way, and much power to her and and like i said only time will tell if maybe any of this has any legs but i think overall great marketing ploy and i I think she's going to continue to be a one of the hottest artists we have in in the country or in the world excuse me she had the beehive busy they went after rachel ray by mistake and they went Mm -hmm. at iggy azalea when she decided to jump out there and say becky with the good hair was racist or what have you and the beehive came at her enough to where she had to walk that back. I just want to tell the beehive, don't come after us. We like Beyonce. You know what? We love Beyonce. Beyonce is loved on politically entertaining. So you don't need to come after us. And with that, let's get into some politics. are listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your hosts, Frank and Byron. Politically Entertaining, me and my man Frank Turner. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, just uh, search for Politically Entertaining. We'll be talking to Kendra English later on in the show. Wanted to start off with uh, this past Tuesday, Frank, we had another primary um, it was Delaware, New York, Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. Hillary Clinton, she won four of the five contests. Donald Trump won all five. It is looking more and more like a Hillary Clinton versus a Donald Trump matchup. There have never been more, two more unfavorable candidates in the history of politics. Hillary Clinton's unfavorables, unfavorables, I just made up a word. Hillary Clinton's unfavorable ratings are high. Donald Trump's are even higher. If I had to put this, you know, the NBA playoffs are going on right now, Frank. It would be like the if the Memphis Grizzlies had found a way to make it to the finals with all their injuries, going against the Detroit Pistons. And like mm-hmm. all the other stars, like LeBron and Steph Curry and Chris Paul got hurt, and those two were to make it. That's the type of NBA finals that you would be, you would be getting if you compared them to this election. There are two candidates that nobody's really excited about voting for, but it looks like we're headed that way. Uh, I'll say this, Frank, for for Hillary, you know, the polls say that she'll beat Trump. He says he guarantees he can beat her. Right now, the numbers don't add up in his favor. If you look at the, the last five primaries, the number of votes she got a lot of times was more than all three of the candidates on the Republican side got total. And then you add in the votes that she would get from Bernie. A lot of his voters would wind up voting for her. You have to assume that it just doesn't add up for Trump. But that's not an excuse for you all to not go vote if you're a Hillary Clinton supporter and you don't want Trump uh, elected. You still need to go out there and make it happen because a lot of times primaries are not a good representation of general election voters. Um, so are you excited at all about this matchup, Frank? I'm excited for the wrong reason. You know, it's it's a train wreck, and, and who wants to look away from a train wreck? Like you mentioned, it, it's uh, unlike a, 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 unlike an NBA Finals or a Super Bowl with two bad teams. This, because of the stakes, it makes it eminently watchable when you look at, okay, this is going to be the leader of the free world, you know, as they refer to the President of the United States. And they're both people that have very questionable things about them. And, and, and you know, I, I think it's very funny because there's a picture, and I think we may have to dig it back up, and you, I think you're the one who posted it on our page, Politically Entertaining. And it's a picture with Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton's in the picture, and, and Donald Trump's with, with one, uh, one of his wives. I don't know which one of, it, which one of his wives it is. It might be, might be the latest one. It might not be. It might be just a woman. But they're in there in a picture – Looking very comfortable together, and I just—it makes me wonder. And I, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist um, or anything like that, but it makes you wonder how different are they really? 
underneath it all. Now, obviously, Trump's presentation is is ostentatious. He's belligerent. He's saying I'm doing all these things, but underneath it all, is Hillary Clinton any different, or is she just comfortable playing the game a certain way? I mean, it's a very valid question, in my opinion. Uh, you know, it's it's like I don't think they're as much moral enemies as the people who are on either side of the politics are. It's almost like it's almost it's almost here's another sports analogy. It's almost like how you know sometimes you'll see guys lose and they'll go up to the guy and be like, hey, you know, good game, man. See you in the off season. They train together, they work out together, kind of thing. And the fans are like, I hate that team. I hate those players. But the players don't hate each other as much as the fans hate you know the other team. And sometimes I wonder when I when I, you know you ask me about Trump and Clinton, it's like, are we are we are, is, is it too soon to say now? Wow, we're getting uh, maybe potentially the same thing with a different wrapping, and, and, and that's a very scary thought to think that that's what we've come to if that's what's in the general election in November. It's going to be one of the most interesting elections ever. With the you just know Trump is going to make all sorts of comments. And I mentioned that right now the numbers are in Hillary's favor. Uh, there have been a lot of rumored VP picks for her. Uh, Sherrod Brown, Senator from Ohio, Senator Nelson from Florida, uh, Senator Franken, who used to be on Saturday Night Live from Minnesota. I think her best choice would personally would be Senator Sanders. I think him as VP, she can keep that excitement, that enthusiasm that he has on his side and bring it to her ticket along with the support she already has. And I just think it would be a formidable team, and I don't think Trump would uh, stand a chance, but that's just my opinion. I did, however, get the 08 pick right. I just want to pat myself on the back. Politically entertaining wasn't around then, but I said in the very beginning that Obama, young candidates should pick a Joe Biden, very experienced guy, and he did so. Let's see if I'm two for two. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to talk about something. Of Bernie, speaking of Bernie Sanders, he he talks a lot about you know poor people. He made the comment that poor people don't vote. A lot of his policies are to try to help poor people, whether it will work or not. is a different story, but it's something that he has definitely spoke about a lot. And Frank, I just wanted to talk to you about the cost of poverty. There, you know, poor people are the most forgotten people in this country, in my opinion. There was an article in New York Times called The Eviction Economy. And basically it's telling the story of, of this woman named Lorraine. She's 54 years old. And she was saying, you know, after she pays her rent for the month, for the month, she's left with about $5 a day. Now, a lot of politicians have suggested, you know, raising the minimum wage. Sanders wants $15 an hour. Hillary says 12 and a lot of politicians propose that along with other things. But what happens is when wages go up, a lot of these landlords, all they do is simply raise the rent with it. So, you know, minimum wages, that's fine. I'm sure it will help some people, but that's not going to be the end-all solution for poor people. And we have laws against, you know, certain living conditions that they live in, a lot of times these places that these poor people live in, they're like exposed wires, uh, the, the plumbing isn't working, things that will, you know, break all type of violation codes. But they can't say anything because if they do, many times poor people are behind on their rent. So all the landlord has to do is say, well, hey, you know, you, you're two months behind anyway, I'll just evict you. So in order to not risk being evicted, they just keep their mouth shut and it's like, a lot of politicians, they, they do mention trying to help the poor, but nobody's really fighting for these people. And I just wonder how a country so rich can consistently forget, you know, a large portion of, of its citizens that, that can't really fight for themselves. I mean, that's a great – I mean, you make a great point. And, and I think one of the things that is, is misunderstood when people talk about the American dream and capitalism and all those things is – if you want to have haves, you have to have have-nots. And so the reason why politicians and people who are not in a situation willing to overlook it is because, hey, they're, they're benefiting off the backs of this system. And I know it sounds crazy to say because everybody thinks the poor people are the ones who are getting, you know, food stamps and benefiting. But, you know, for the yeah, while there might be some welfare queen out there who's gaming the system and doing well, 
Majority of people on public assistance, as you mentioned, 70, up to 70% of their income is spent on their housing potentially, and really the recommendation for those who don't know is your, your household income, your housing shouldn't be any more than 30% of your income. And so I think, you know, these people are way above that. They're in places that are not rent control where the rent can be raised. They're, they're in neighborhoods where the the uh, grocery prices are, are, are can rise if you know if they get benefits and they're not able to get the good food because they you know they don't have to have transportation to get to the grocery stores and it's a lot of work it's tough to be poor it's 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 expensive to be poor and I think you know people don't understand because they don't understand the situation uh, you know I do have some understanding of the situation I know uh, how it is because my, my I never shared this before you know on the show but my father he grew up as as an orphan. Both his parents had passed away by the time he was eight, and so he, you know, went through a lot. He grew up in New York, and so obviously that's, that's a um, difficult place to grow up with without having your parents. Um, and so what I'm saying is there is a lot of stories, people out there like my dad, and while my dad didn't make it and has done well, there's a lot of people that didn't make it and can't make it out. And, and so I just want to say that, you know, it's it's not when people say about talking about working hard and different things, there's, there's situations people are born into that, it's almost impossible for them to get out. And so you wonder why crime and stuff is rampant in these areas because people have no hope. And what you're going to see is over um, – and I'm going to dovetail this into an article that I actually posted about – Warren Buffett actually said, you know, it's okay for rich people to pay more taxes because, you know, the 1% have specialized skills that allow to live, earn a living that the other people can't earn. So nothing wrong with paying more taxes. And so what you're seeing is – you, you, you had the article about, you know, the, the, the poor and stuff like that, but it's going to spread over the next 20, 25 years to people who are sort of kind of middle class. Now you're going to have the 1%, which is going to stay rich. You're going to have the, the, the poverty, you know, the, the, the poverty line people, and then you're going to have people in the middle class who are basically almost pushing the poverty line because they're not able to keep up economically with the inflation of houses, of education. You know, we've talked about that, you know, uh, a little bit, but it's just there's so much going on. Uh, you know the, the for-profit universities that are, that are leeching on the middle class now. That's breaking people down, and has you know the millennial generation in a load of debt, struggling forever and ever. I mean, man, there's there's a lot to that, and, and that's a great article. And I hope you've posted it because people need to go and read it and just understand that these aren't just poor people who are taking your tax dollars and buying playstations and and you know eating uh, government cheese. It's it's a it's a serious thing. And uh, it's and, and there's not a great solution for it because our system is set up. It's not. It's, we don't. We live in a capitalist society, and that means there's haves and have-nots. And these have-nots are being profited on by the landlords and the other people who are working working those systems. And there's no reason for them to really change it. So you've got a generation of people that are just growing up suffering, and it's very disheartening when you when you see that. Damn, you brought up some good points, man. Um, I. I'm telling you, you know, solving this whole poverty issue can help solve so many other issues. Like poverty breeds crime. And, you know, we already spend about, well, I know as of like in 2008, we spent a billion, $40 billion on direct housing assistance. We actually, uh, the person who wrote this article, he did the numbers. You actually can spend almost half of that if you were spending more wisely and, and cover this uh, whole low-income families, once their housing is taken care of, then they can spend money on healthier food. You know, like you said, the, the, the stores in their neighborhoods, they not only do they have a lot of unhealthy food, but the food they do have is a lot higher than other places. Uh, so you, you get healthier kids if we, if we can find a way to solve this problem. You can get rid of a lot of the social problems that we have. And you can help uh, put a dent in homelessness in this country. It's just so many other problems that come from, you know, having so many poor people in your state or in your town. And unfortunately, it's not a lot of incentive for politicians to address it in a serious manner. But I, I hope they eventually will because it's, it's just too many times they get forgotten. And if they're not forgotten, like you brought up, Frank, they get talked about as and painted as, you know, freeloaders and wanting handouts. And in this article, these people are not looking for handouts. A lot of them are waitresses. You know, they work. They work as hard as they can, but their wages don't cover basic needs. 
So I'm not, I'm gonna I'm gonna step off my uh, my my pedestal my my stool for a minute. But I just you know I, I like beating that drum, and we need to do something about the poor people in this country. Um, again, we're gonna talk uh, Hazard and Dennis, former Speaker of the House Dennis Hazard, and former Governor of Virginia Bob McDonald. I want to remind the folks that you can find us on all social media platforms by typing in Politically Entertaining, Facebook, Instagram. We're also on Twitter at The Vocal Minority, D-A-M-I-N-O-R-I-T-Y, at The Vocal Minority. I messed that up. I messed up the spelling. That's why you never spell it, Frank. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. It's just D-A-V-O-C-L Minority. And use your spell check to, to do that. So that's that's where you can find us on Twitter as well. Yes, correct, correct. So find us on there, Facebook and Instagram. Like the page. We post a lot of articles on Facebook, and we just keep you up to date on news, you know, between each show. Now, <clears throat> as I mentioned, former Speaker of the House, Dennis Hassard, he was found guilty this week on um, child molestation charges. Now, the actual statute of limitations had run out on the actual sexual abuse, but he was found guilty on he pretty much paid his victims hush money and that the FBI once they investigated they was able to uh, find him guilty. He, he was sentenced to 15 months in jail. Governor Bob McDonald, he's the former governor of my state, Virginia, and while he was governor, there was a businessman in Virginia that was pressing him to help him uh, sell his supplement that his uh, company was making. And in exchange, he gave the governor over $175,000 in gifts and money, gifts such as uh, I believe it was a a Ferrari involved, uh, private golf outings, uh, all types of lavish jewelry and cash, because uh, his wife was in on it too. She also was found guilty as well. Uh, The governor used the governor's mansion to – have like this lunch party at the governor's mansion. He he brought up this man's company with state officials and tried to get a lot of the universities in Virginia to do the research on the supplement for him. So he was found guilty. Right now he's appealing it. It's before the Supreme Court. It looks like he may beat it, Frank. It looks like the Supreme Court may side with him. But I wanted to get your thoughts on a lot of times when we look at politicians, we say, you know, they get away with whatever they want, while regularly you and me, you know, if that hadn't been us, we would get locked up. But here's two cases where guys, you know, were doing bad and got caught. So do you see that as, you know, the justice, having more faith in the justice system, or are these just two outliers and, for the most part, politicians and powerful people get away with, with whatever they want? That. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much that. I mean, you know, it's 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 Dennis Hassard is you know he he let's put it like this he didn't actually go to jail he was guilty of molestation which is horrible and, and you know we we know what that can do to a young child uh, young children and for him to only have to go to jail for 15 months for paying hush money is 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 really sure his reputation is is sullied but. It's it's nothing compared to what he did to those children, and for him to spend 15 months, and you know he basically got away with it. You know he had his political career, he, you know, paid the hush money, and now yeah, it's coming back on him. But it just doesn't seem like justice was served. And then, like I said, with McDonald, we'll see if it if the charge sticks up, holds up for him. But again, you know he has resources to he's going to appeal it, and you know it's one of those kind of things where it's like I want to know what that damn supplement was because I'm like. That's a lot of work you're doing for a supplement. I mean, Viagra, you can get a prescription for that, brother. I mean, what was it? What, what is it? What kind of supplement was it? I mean, I just need to know because I'm like, there's only certain things that a man cares about, you know, that's going, he's really going to go out for. And I'm thinking, that supplement already exists. And anything else you need is a GNC. So I'm like, what was it? <laughs> what was this supplement? So, you know, I just think that it, it doesn't, increase the faith that the justice system works uh for for those who are in, in in power you know influential it was frustrating because you know these guys had had done these things and gotten away with it and 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 certainly even if they are convicted they don't ever really serve the penalty that 
they really should have, as you mentioned. Not not often, not often enough. So, I mean, like I said, I'm disappointed, you know, in these elected officials behaving that way, but you'll see it happen again because they think it's, they're too smart and it can't happen to them. And, 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 you know, obviously, not to bring, you know, this up, but obviously Governor Bentley, you know, of Alabama, he's he's under fire. He's been under fire for quite a while. And, you know, the whole inf- information came out about the whole, you know, affair. And he claimed it wasn't sexual. But, I mean, he talks about, you know, if you listen to the transcript, I mean, I don't know what else it could have been that he was doing with her, uh, that woman. I mean, you know, and I apologize for not knowing her name. But, it, like I said, it's just, it's, just, it's just these politicians in, in power, they – they're abusing the power, and it's unfortunate because, you know, as, as, as elected officials, they have a greater responsibility to uphold the authority of the office and the more and have a moral compass. You know, they have to live differently than even me and you. It's like I'm not telling you to do anything that, that's immoral, but, you know, you're just a guy, and, and I'm just a guy, and, you know, you're not running for office. So I do think that, you know, it's, it's a disappointment, but, what you know, what are you gonna say? It's the same, same, uh, same, same. You know, SS, you know, DD. Uh, for those who don't know what that means, just look that up. I don't, I don't curse on the show. You know what's what's hypocritically funny is during President Clinton's impeachment. You know, um, when he had the affair with Monica Lewinsky, and he went through all of that, and the Republicans they went after him pretty hard family values and all that, you know, during that whole entire time, listen to the leadership that was in charge. Newt Gingrich was Speaker of the House. Newt Gingrich, a guy who not only had an affair, but he had an affair while his wife was in the hospital with, I believe, cancer at the time. He's on his third wife right now, uh, and I believe he's cheated on the, the previous two. That's what you had as Speaker of the House. Dennis Hassard is the one who replaced him because of, you know, all the scandals that were going on with him. He wound up stepping down and leaving office. Dennis Hassard stepped in for his place. During his tenure, I don't know if a lot of people remember this, but Congressman Foley of Florida, he had inappropriate messages with uh, House pages. Pages are these teenagers that come to Capitol Hill and they go to school there for a semester and get the Capitol Hill experience and all that stuff. So he's having inappropriate conversations with uh, teenage boys. And then you had the majority leader, Tom DeLay, at the same time, who also was sentenced to jail. I forget what his crime was, but it was it, it sent him to jail as well. So you had these four guys all in the house, and they were going after uh, President Clinton. Not saying that what Clinton did wasn't wrong, but again, you have to see the hypocrisy in all of that. Yeah. He's a music director. He uh, He's directed over 30 videos. He's a great guy. Let's talk to Kendrick English. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Today's guest joining us on Politically Entertaining is my man Kendrick English. You can find him on all social media uh, platforms. Just put in Ken XL. That's Ken, letter XL, YouTube, Twitter. This man is pretty much filming down there every video in Birmingham. Ken, what's going on with you, man? What it do, folks? What it do? Man, it's all that, good, man. We want to thank you for joining us, bro. Hey, man, anytime, man. Y'all family, man. <laughs> Appreciate that. Appreciate that. All right, man, we're going to jump into this. Now, a lot of people don't know at one time, I actually was trying to be a rapper many, many, many years ago. And, you know, <laughs> during that time, most of everybody you came across, they were, he was either trying to rap or make beats. Now, you are on the unique side of you're actually filming videos, so what made you choose that path in the rap game is what, when everybody else was trying to rap or make beats, what made you choose the video directing side of it? You know what? That's a good question because I actually came in the game as a, a manager 
and I just wasn't getting my what I wanted to get across. I, I really wanted to help somebody uh, get to that next level. I've always been like that behind the scenes, help somebody accomplish a dream type of and um, I've always had a passion to do video work, but I never could afford the equipment until they came out with this uh, DSLR camera, which was affordable for everybody, and they bumped the quality up on those. So when, once they became affordable, I was able to start filming. And the artist I was managing, I actually started filming him, and that turned into a check from the label, a different check aside from the management. And I was like, not only am I helping them, I'm actually getting paid. And it's quite fulfilling. So, hey, the get paid parties, what's up? <laughs> hey, the get paid part is excellent, you know. But it, it's all about helping people get things. And, and I get a lot of war in that, you know, especially when I'm in the inner city neighborhood and, you know, people looking at me doing something other than actually rapping, shooting ball, or, you know, doing the other thing. You see what I'm saying? It, it show kids it's another way out. So, once I started seeing that, it, it just it, it it actually pushed me. And, you know, you know, once you know where we from, once we 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 catch on to something, we gonna research it, we gonna max it out. So that I I, I think I'm I hope I'm still in in the question room. I can kind of rant a little bit. Oh yeah, you good? Now you good? That's good. You can uh you can correct me. I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you you've directed over thirty videos. Your latest video, done one featuring Stone G. Uh, and Hood Riches, with the title called Life Life Situations, is up on your channel, a Ken XL film that's on YouTube. And you just finished up a video right before we got on the phone with you uh, with 28 Bars. So if you're on YouTube, check him out. He has his own channel. All his videos on there, you can check out his work. Now, last week we had a guest on here by the name of Nicole Spears, and she – one of the one of the problems she thinks with our youth is the images portrayed in rap music. And I was watching a lot of these videos, and they are pretty raw. They have guns in them or whatnot. Do you do you ever get criticized for your work? And do you think that you know today's rap music has a negative influence on our youth? Absolutely, um, absolutely. That, that I'm glad you brought that up. I get a lot of criticism um, from it, uh, mainly. Um, for I guess glorifying the drug dealer. That's the part that I'm say I'm getting hit with the most, being that I'm in the Birmingham market. And what I explain to people when when that question arises is, you know, that's the environment that we in. We we show it what Birmingham has. Like Birmingham ain't a, a, a colorful city where Lamborghinis rolling around, people walking up the sidewalks in bikinis. It's a lot of gang violence here. A lot of um, uh, um, uh, just violent crimes happening here. You know, first 48 was here. So we basically just creating awareness. We, uh, that's, that's why you see the guns because we really trying to show you that it's actually real here. And it's really a cry for help. You know, it's, we bringing attention to these, we not really glorifying it in the videos. I never make somebody a heroic figure that has a gun. If I show somebody with a gun in the video, it's mainly um, out of stupidity for that particular section of that of the city. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, okay, this is what's there. We need help. We're showing it to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I was in Miami, it probably would be different. It will be palm trees and pretty ladies. But the market that I'm in is a dangerous gang and just gun culture place. So we create an awareness, and, yeah, it does get bad. But in the meantime, you know, it it just it's showing them that hey, you don't have to rob, kill, and steal. You know, use that gun for theater. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, it may be sounding crazy, but you know, it actually gets some of these guys out of that street life. You know, once they got something going. You know, that's interesting. You know, Byron mentioned you know your portrayal in videos, but you know, growing up, obviously, we went to the same high school, and you know, when at that time, No Limit was that was very very popular. Uh, you know, their music, their style, their, you know, their, their videos, they seem to have like a whole conglomerate thing going on. Has that, has that influenced your, the way you shoot videos at all, seeing No Limit and how they were able to kind of be so successful in the, in the late 90s? Uh, do you take any of that, you know, uh, No Limit in, in your uh, shooting? Yes, yes, I actually do. Um, 
I reference a lot of videos. Like the Who Did Who video is one of my favorite videos. Like there, New Orleans is where I get most of my uh, ideas from. Like Juvenile High video, all of those videos, because what it does is it create awareness to that area. Like, you know, it was really showing that dang, New Orleans is, is bad. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it ain't as good as people. You know what I'm saying? It's not just tours. You might need to be careful going there. You know what I'm saying? And it also it just brought some money to to the city. You know, whenever whenever you create a hip hop market, then money money is coming. So uh, that's that's basically where I'm at with it. Is you know I, I did I did uh, take a lot of things from No Limit, and the fact that they were able to get a lot of people out of the situations they were in, but also increase awareness to their neighborhoods. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm showing. I don't want to be fake. I want to show exactly what's going on right there. That's interesting also. So what you're saying is also interesting because, you know, in hip-hop culture, it's always been presented as very anti-establishment. You know, to the man specifically, uh, the political system seems like something that's not, uh, you know, part of, of the hip-hop culture. You know, voting and maybe being activists, that doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, fit in uh, to necessarily some of the hip-hop culture. How do you feel about, you know, say what's going on in the political climate? Obviously, you got Donald Trump, you got... Hillary Clinton, you got different candidates. You got a big election going on. Are you are you somebody who's politically aware? Do you or, or and the people you're around are they politically aware, or is it this anti-establishment? Like, well, you know, we're not worried about the system. We're gonna do what we got to do. Or is there an understanding that there is a difference that can be made by voting and maybe you know getting in the political activist system? I'm gonna go ahead and answer that question and say that majority of my clients and the people that I work with. Um, after Obama is gone, the things that I hear is, well, it ain't no hope for us. You know what I'm saying? Looking at the candidate, you know, um, I really don't have a personal, um, choice as of yet. I'm still kind of weighing my options as far as who I'm looking at, but I, you know, of course I'm not with Donald Trump. I mean, that's apparent, but other than that, the people I'm around, I mean, I have an influence where I believe I could, I could, you know, make them vote or get them excited about it, but it just hasn't been a candidate to stand up for hip-hop right now. I guess I guess when it gets closer to the time, they'll do something, but I, you know, the only person that I've seen that even acknowledge music right now is Bernie. You know what I'm saying? I hadn't, right. I haven't, it, it, I mean, I haven't seen anybody else even acknowledge hip-hop. I mean, it's very interesting, yeah. The only time you really see politicians even acknowledge hip-hop is when they're trying to get, uh, when they're in a close race and they're trying to get that predominantly black vote, I don't know if you remember a few years ago there was a guy running for Senate in Georgia, and he enlisted like T.I. and Young Jeezy mm-hmm. trying, trying to get the vote out. But other than that, they don't pay it too much attention. Um, when Eminem came out and, you know, he did his thing and then he moved on to, well, not moved on, but he added, you know, producing to his arsenal. And one of the things he said was that he does beats, but he doesn't charge artists. But the trade-off is he only gives his beats to artists that he respects. So he gave like a beat to Nas and Jay-Z. Now, I, I don't want you to use any names because I know you <laughs> you don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> but I was looking at your videos, and I just was wondering, like, man, when some of these artists come to you with these songs that they want you to direct, have you ever in your mind said, well, the video gonna be fly, but man, this song is awful. Like, do you, <laughs> are you in the position where you could turn down some artists and say, "Nah, I'm gonna pass on that," or are you just taking on pretty much anybody? No, uh, I'm not a public service. Um, <laughs> I just did a radio interview. I just did a radio interview about that a week ago, letting people know that I'm not just you could just walk in and pick a shoe off the shelf and put it on and walk back out the door like. You know, you can submit music. You can try. I really work off of references. Like, if I've worked with an artist before, it's probably somebody that they've worked with or they know that's interested. And, yeah, I do listen to the music. Uh, if you do see something on my channel that's not that good, my nine times out of ten, it's probably because they had a good reference or, you know, I've shot in videos for people that's a family member of mine that may have a friend up here, and, you know, explain the story to me. At that point, you know, to me, I don't think there's a such thing as whack music. I guess that's why it's a such thing as unprofessionally recorded sounding music. 
if it's professionally recorded, it's for somebody. You know what I'm saying? It might not necessarily be for me, but it's for somebody. You see what I'm saying? So I don't know what's going to pop. The songs I don't like, they always blow up and be like top five. Oh, you, you know, too? So they have to see you. I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Listen, when, when you mentioned Juvenile, huh? Man, let me tell you, when that song first came out, and I was like, what? Huh? All he's saying is huh the whole song. <laughs> man, 400 Degrees took off off that song, man. They it took off. Degrees, man. Wow. <laughs> took off. So you never know, man. You don't you don't know what what a stick, you know what I'm saying? So I don't diss people. You know, I, I give people a chance. But I will tell you this. I'm going to go ahead and give you the buyer side of me. Like, I do, like, I get a tons of, on average, I get probably about 25 inquiries a day. And I try to go through and see who popping. Like, I try to, like, I'm going to go through your Facebook page. I'm going to see how many likes you get when you post a picture. I'm going to just see what you got going on. Like, I don't really want to work with somebody that don't have a fan base because they're going to have a hard time with the video. Like, you know, you, you may think 10 people going to show up to play a certain part that we planned out, but two show up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't got time for that. I want the people that's popping, that people interested in seeing. His name is Kendrick English, music director, uh, music video director. He has his YouTube channel, Akin XL Film. You also can find him on different social media platforms. Just type in Akin XL and you'll pull up him and all his work. I highly recommend you check out his YouTube channel, though. All his videos on there. This brother does some great work. Ken, we, uh, we're doing real good with the time, man. You got time for one more question? Oh, yeah, go ahead. All right, this is a bonus question I just thought of. I was looking through your videos, and I came across one by an artist named Jew called Trap Queen. Whose Trap Queen was first, his or Fetty Wap's? Fetty Wap. Fetty Wap, okay, okay. Well, again, we want to thank <laughs> you for joining us. <laughs> uh, were you, oh, were you reluctant to, to shoot that with Fetty Wap's? Uh, trap queen already out there. Like, let me let me tell you a little something about this situation. He explained it. I got a follow up video on my channel where he actually explained the difference between him and Fetty Wap. Um, no, like when he when he presented the record to me, I liked it. Uh, hip hop is a culture where things are being recycled every day. You know, like I'm sure Fetty Wap sampled that song from something back in the day. You see what I'm saying? Like he went with the title, but his trap queen. It was the same type of trap queen. Everything was the same. I just liked it. And then when I met Jew, he was a, the real, you know, he was a real person. So I was like, okay, well, let's go. That's what's up. That's what's and up. It's, it's always wrong because, hey, in, in our generation, we once had two whoop daddies at the same time. So Exactly. Right, right. <laughs> it's always wrong. Exactly. Man, we want to thank you for joining us on Politically Entertaining, brother. Straight up, man. I enjoyed it. I want to thank Ken again for joining us on Politically Entertaining. Again, please subscribe to the series. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher, Podbean. We're on Google Play now, folks. Just hit Politically Entertaining in the search box. Also, you can always reach us on the website, politicallyentertaining.com. I enjoyed that interview with uh, with Kendrick. We, We brought him something different this time, Frank. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's it's very interesting as we enter the election cycle and we look at those members of, of the electorate that are disenfranchised, and I think that there's a lot of people in the hip-hop community, and it's predominantly African-American community. There are, you know, some, some other minorities in there as well, and, and, so, and some poor white people who identify with that. But that being said, it's a, that, the hip-hop has always been an anti-establishment type of movement. You know, you go back and you think about you know, a public enemy and, and and those kind of things. There's 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 a distrust of the government, and so there's almost a natural disenfranchisement that goes along with the disenfranchisement that 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 the some political parties try, as we talk about voter suppression, kind of go along with that. You know, you have people that are feeling kind of like they don't want to vote, and then it's also hard for them to vote. But you know, we want to encourage you know, like I said, everybody who's listening to the show, whether or not. You know, you feel like your vote counts. It really does. It makes a difference. You know, go out and vote. You know, get informed. You still have time. There's there's many months before the the, the election. Uh, get informed. Even if you didn't vote in the primaries, don't feel bad. Go out and vote in the, in the general election. In November, you got six months to get registered, and and just be happy. Let your voice be heard, and, and don't be don't feel that 
you know, you're not you're not heard. And I think that is what's so interesting about you know Kendrick because he works with you know like he mentioned a lot of different things in the city. Like there's a lot of bad things going on in the city, and you gotta think that if there's a lot if there's violence and crime and rape and murder, the last thing people think about coming home is oh I'm gonna go out and vote. I'm gonna make a difference. And you know there there's a world that they don't even that they don't feel they can even affect, but they can. And so I think, you know, we just want to share that message uh, with with, with um, all people, especially those who feel disenfranchised. And I think it's important to have representation of that uh, electorate, you know, hip-hop electorate, uh, certainly, uh, you know, being, being represented on the show and given a chance to understand their story. He really does do some great work, folks. Uh, again, I, I really... I wasn't just saying that because he was on the show. You should check out his YouTube uh, channel. Uh, he does some great work. And, uh, you know, check that brother out. He's really uh, doing his thing. Again, that channel is Akin XL. Just go to YouTube, type that in, and uh, it should pull up. Um, I must admit, on this show, we have not at all mentioned the Zika virus whatsoever. And when I first heard about it, you know, unlike Ebola, you know, when Ebola was out, you know, everybody, it, it seemed like it just grabbed everybody's attention, and we were all over with this. With this Zika virus, I hear about it, but not that much. But I felt like it was time for us to discuss it a little bit, Frank, because it is, you know, it's, it's becoming a growing concern. And what happened this week in Congress was uh, the White House, they have asked for $1.9 billion to help fight this thing. And... I just want to let the people know, if, if you're like me and you've heard about the Zika virus but haven't paid that much attention to it, the symptoms from it are not unusual from a lot of different, you know, diseases you can get. You get um, your eyes can become red. You may have flu-like symptoms. But one of the more severe symptoms it has is uh, it can make your muscles weak. And, of course, in uh, unborn births, birth defects such as uh, a significantly small head and brain. Now, as of now, uh, we have 36 cases in the U.S., from mainly from people that have been traveling and coming back in. The hotbed for this virus has been Brazil. It's 1.3 million cases there. Uh, it's transmitted by mosquitoes. That's what they told us at first, and that's the reason why I wanted to bring this subject up on the show, because it sounds like they don't quite know everything this disease can do because at first we were told it was only transmitted by mosquitoes. Now we found out that it also can be transmitted uh, sexually. So it's, it's, it's a sexually transmitted disease as well. And like I said, the White House, they've asked for $1.9 billion to help fight this thing. They're trying to get ahead of it. They don't want to wait till we get a death or two and then try to fight it. They want to get ahead of it now, Frank. The Republicans in Congress have said no to that request, and I don't want to bash Republicans because we do have some in the Senate, mainly the ones on the Gulf Coast. Again, as I mentioned in the interview, you know, me and Frank, we uh, we grew up in Mobile, so we know what mosquitoes are like. And Senator Rubio in particular, he's behind this effort of trying to fight it ahead of time. So do you think that you know, the Republicans in Congress that are saying no to the White House, Frank, are they, are they right to not panic, or do you feel like they're risking our welfare? Well, I mean, in my opinion, and it's something that I don't know if you knew, but as of yesterday, the first U.S. Zika death was reported in Puerto Rico. Now, the yeah. 70-year-old man who died, um, you know, from complications of the Zika virus, um, in in February, but but what I'm saying is, I guess it shouldn't be a political issue, right? You're, this is a disease. It's not a it's not something whether whether or not you can deny it exists. Like does global warming exist? And people say, oh no, climate change isn't real. Zika virus is real. It's here, and I think every method to to combat it should be taken. It shouldn't be a partisan effort. It should be something that people are doing just for humanity's sake because. It's not as if the Zika virus gets here. It's going to say, "Oh, you're 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 a liberal. Oh, I'm not going to go to you. Or you're a conservative. I'm going to avoid you. Or you're a moderate. Oh, don't worry. You don't vote. Okay, yeah, you're good. It's it doesn't work like that. Um, it's going to affect us all. So I think with you know the way 
people could travel all over the world. I think it's, I think anytime there's a virus like this, it's a huge deal. It can become an epidemic uh, very quickly because I feel like the way we travel the world, you know, maybe a hundred years ago it wouldn't be because you know if someone was in South America. You don't have as much transportation back and forth. Now there's flights that come from Brazil and go back to America every, you know, every day. And so, you know, you mentioned the mosquitoes, sexually transmitted diseases, uh, you know, I, I mean, and also being sexually transmitted. I think that it's a very serious thing, and I think that every precaution needs to be taken immediately to make sure that it doesn't become something that everybody's getting it. Cause, because once it spreads, you can't really combat it. Then, I mean, you know, there, there's all kind of, we see movies all the time. There's a movie, Contagion, that came out probably four years ago, maybe even five years ago. It's a good movie. But the viral model in that movie was somewhat realistic. And it's like once something hits, you know, a major, uh, you know, metropolitan area, there's good luck. Good luck stopping it. So, I mean, you know, certainly to me, uh, it doesn't need to be underestimated. It needs to be something that's taken seriously. And I don't. Well, I don't think necessarily you're you're in danger of dying from Zika virus. I don't think it's something that you know should just you know you should just tuck away and forget about. Like it's not like the SARS thing or the anthrax scares. This is a real thing, and I think people should take it seriously. And hopefully Congress will uh, turn around and, and realize that. Yes, uh, you actually one of your lines is something that Senator Rubio actually said word for word that, you know, mosquitoes don't know if you're liberal or conservative. They, it shouldn't be a political thing. In the White House, they do have a plan with the money. They want to, um, there's a way that they can, I think, uh, kill off mosquitoes ahead of time before they, like, really take over an area. Uh, but as summer gets closer, I think you're going to hear more and more about this, and like you say, hopefully, they will come to some agreement and go ahead and take care of this before it becomes a problem. We're uh, we're just about done with the show. But before we leave, last week I told you guys, as we were discussing the Harriet Tubman twenty dollar bill, I quoted Aunt B again. Aunt B is co-host of the Wine Dog with Erica Perkins, and I told you that I was going to bring her up again in the following show. Um, I'm bringing her up because it helps me transition to a, 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 an overall subject that I wanted to talk about. And the, the question that I want to ask you, Frank, is when did men get so fragile? And I ask this question because she, you know, wrote a, a post a, a while ago, and she basically was saying, and I know this happens to nearly every female on social media, you know, guys jump in your inbox, and I'm actually uh, – <laughs> I'm actually in support of it. I tell guys all the time, you know, shoot your shot. And one of the reasons I do that is because I was very shy growing up. And, you know, talking to girls was like, it, it, it was terrifying for me. And, but now that I'm much older, I'm like, you know, the worst they can say is no. So whenever, you know, guys tell me, man, you know, I'm thinking about talking to this to this female, I always say, you know, shoot your shot, man. The worst she can say is no. So I have no problem with guys trying to, you know, holler at females, in person, on social media, whatever. What I do have a problem with, and what she brought up was, you know, you come in her inbox and you, you, you know, you say hello or whatever. She's not obligated to respond to you. And a lot of times what's happening is when these females, they don't respond to these men, then they get upset and start calling them the B word and, and you, you, you ugly anyway and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, why are you acting so fragile right now? Like, you, you gave it your best shot. She wasn't interested. Move on. And and that's, that's like on an innocent level. On a, on a more dangerous level, there's a, a young woman named Sarah Spain, Frank, that works for ESPN. And she and another colleague, you know, female sports reporters in general, they get a lot of uh, hate messages on the social media platform. And what she did was she had men that had never, you know, seen these tweets that they got on Twitter, and she had them read them to her. And these guys were, like, just caught off guard. And one that caught me, that really, like, stuck out to me, this is, quote, you know, hopefully that skank Julie will be Bill Cosby's next victim. Like, that's what you're getting 
uh, from men that are coming as female uh, sports journalists when they say something that they don't agree with. Like if she says, I don't think the Dallas Cowboys can win the Super Bowl, you know how crazy fans can be. And the reason I bring it up is because, you know, when guys start talking like that, and I'm not saying that everybody on social media is, is serious and that they really want to rape these women, which was some of the comments that they got, you know, that I hope you get raped. But you have to figure that some are true. And when men get into the whole verbal abusive thing, that leads to domestic violence and, and violence against women, which is a problem in this country. Have men always been this fragile, Frank, or like did we get did we get softer over the years, or has it always been there, or is social media just bringing a lot of this stuff to prominence that we didn't know before? I think I think you just hit that on the head. I think we kind of talked about something like this last week about racial divides and things like that, and I think that social media, like you said, has given everybody a voice that maybe shouldn't have a voice, and maybe a woman that you would have had to go actually go up to and talk to and get her phone number, maybe, yeah, she would say no, or maybe she would say, yeah, whatever she said, but you would go up to her in person. I think now there's this passive-aggressive mentality that men have developed where they go in somebody's inbox, which is very, in my opinion, kind of passive, um, and, and then, you know, but like you said, shoot your shot, and then if it doesn't work, you know, you can't be mad because, you know, to me, you gotta look. You gotta look at it like there's a different world we live in where people can communicate with her instantly, and that doesn't mean you know anybody any better. It's just the same way as you walk up to a woman at a bar and you say, "Hey, can I buy you a drink?" She's like, "No, I'm not really interested." Okay, well, what would you do then? Would you would you, you just probably walk away, right, or something, or you you were you know some other social setting and have you know any other place, or, you know, a restaurant or something. You approach a woman and she says she's not interested. You don't start hurling insults at you. Just kind of say, "Okay," when well, you turn around. And I think that the, the online presence of people, they can't take – people are so sensitive online, it's incredible. And so it's like they lash out, you know, in ways they wouldn't have normally. And so it's when, when it comes to the female sportscasters, you know, they're under a lot of pressure, obviously. And, there's, you know, the thing is I think a lot there's a lot of sexism where there's an, an average man who thinks he knows about, you know, you know foot, football more than a woman who actually – you know, pay attention. I mean, here, I mean, here, here's how subtle it is. So it's a true story, and I, I'm not going to say any names. But I, I play in the fantasy football league, and my wife's actually in the league. And you know, I, I, I actually am in the fantasy football, and, and I, you know, I haven't brought it up on the show before, but I actually have another podcast where I just talk about fantasy football and that kind of thing. Uh, but the crazy thing is, you know, I run the league, my wife's in the league, and everybody assumes that my my wife's only. The they say, "Oh, you're doing her picks, right?" And I'm like, "No, my wife doesn't even." You know, listen to, listen to my show. She doesn't listen to my advice. She does her own thing. And I think there's an idea that women are inferior mentally when it comes to figuring out sports, which is silly because there's probably women are a lot better athletes than a lot of men out there in a lot of different sports. But men have this complex where, like, when women come and invade their sports sanctuary, they get real, real weird. And so I think that there's that kind of weird dichotomy going on there. And it needs to stop. It's disgusting. Uh, there's women that know more about sports than, you, than men, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's men that know more about domestic things than women. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's just people know what they know, and you need to respect what it is, you know. There's women that can't cook, and there's men that can cook better than them. It's like, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It just means that people have different interests, and, and both men and women were both capable of, of doing things of, you know, the opposite sex. And I'm not saying that a man should be a man. I'm not trying to get into that argument at all. But when it comes to things as plain as sports, we shouldn't be having these type, type of things. This is, this is despicable, in my opinion. You mentioned uh, what would a guy do if he offered to buy a drink and she says, no, I do know, you know, just listening to my wife over the years, like even before we were married, you know, she would just tell me a lot of times when guys ask them for their number, and I think I'm sure a lot of women can relate to this. She's going. To, she's grown accustomed to not telling them no, but she, you know, she's had to tell, like, either give them a wrong number, or if she's out with a female friend, she's had to say, well, me and her are together. You know, like we, we're a couple. Just anything, because if you just simply tell a guy no, then he immediately uses the B word. Or you think you all that? You, you you're being stuck up. Uh, what have you? So women, 
they're having to lie just to not get called out their name. So I just, you know, any guy that's listening, you know, just come on. I mean, like, really, come on. Like, there's a better way to handle this, man. There's plenty of women out there. Again, I'm an advocate for shooting your shot, but just know that you're going to miss sometimes. And when you miss, get the rebound, shoot another shot somewhere else, man. But there's no need in calling women out their names and, and behaving like a child. We want to thank everybody again for listening to Politically Entertaining. Uh, we especially want to thank the listeners and the subscribers. We ask that you tell a friend. Uh, Frank, I appreciate everything you do for the show, man. And uh, please just continue to support us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Vocal Minority. And just keep supporting us. The numbers are looking good, and we have you guys to thank for it. So thank you. Again, like Byron said, thank you for listening. Uh, we do this show for you. We want an informed, excited electorate. Again, you check us out all social media channels, politically entertaining on Twitter at the Vocal Minority, that's D A V O C L Minority. Uh, also, you can email us info at politically entertaining as well. Uh, we look forward to uh, a new show coming up soon. So, you guys take care. We'll see you soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.